Welcome to Two Dope Boys at a Podcast. I'm Michael Brooks. I'm Phil McKenzie. Two Dope Boys is a shout out from the margins each week. We break down trends using the lens of culture to shed light on what's significant to your future and why. How you doing, Fratello? What's going on? Doing good, doing good, doing good. Super producer Matt Leck with us. Creative director Sean Awan holding it down. In just a couple of short weeks from now, notes in the blog post to get your deal. We're going to be at the Sustainable Brands Conference in Detroit. We're going to be talking about culture, gentrification, brand F-ups, and what they say about larger brand stories. You don't want to miss that event. Check it out. Now we got to get to the brand F-up of the week. We're going dolo this week had a last minute emergency with one of our crew members we're wishing them a speedy recovery phil brand f up of the week this is our i guess trifecta trilogy of the ongoing saga of america's airlines being the absolute worst and needing our services urgently or just basic decency urgently yeah we we actually debated this one for a while because it, it seems like you know brand f-ups come so frequently in the in the airline space but you know basically this comes from american airlines that forced a um, african-american woman who had purchased two first class seats to give up um one of the seats which was hers and then be placed in another seat while allowing her white friend to remain in the in the first class seat so obviously this harkens back to very problematic like circumstances and and language and any number of different things that that one can think of but at this point after seeing an airline you know refuse to allow um young women to board wearing tights and dragging a man and and assaulting him down the aisle and you know removing passengers based on their their prayer um, speaking in Arabic. Yeah, speaking in Arabic, yeah. um, writing in Arabic, having right. or, or writing, being um, a person of color and writing numbers and formulas and being, you know, that being suspicious. At this point, nothing surprises me with the low level of service and, and just basic decency that seems to be more the, the just the way American airline companies, though this is specifically American Airlines, but domestic U.S. air travelers um, do their service. There's an opportunity. There has to be an opportunity in the industry. There's There's been the, you know, I mean, Spirit Airlines is basically, as far as I can tell, basically kind of a hustle. Um, but they at least tried to exploit that real cheap lane, um, although they're not on the up and up about their actual pricing, seems to me. Uh but I just wonder, I mean, JetBlue to some extent has made a dent in this, but where is the opportunity? There is an opportunity there, and the regulation doesn't favor it because the way the airline industry has been cheated, uh, treated and regulated, it's very easy to exploit customers, and they do. Um, but I think any of these places are ripe for some type of cultural change that could translate to absolutely minimal interventions, which would buy so much consumer loyalty in this environment because the standard is so low that if one brand emerged as like the place where you always have a bare minimum of, you know, somewhat basic comfort, 
a bare minimum of a certain type, you know, let alone these horrific stories of like endless types of discrimination and even in, you know, a couple of weeks ago, physical violence. Seems to me the opportunities there. We're going to give the airline industry a little bit of breathing space uh, for the next several episodes. But I mean, it just is, it's a brand F up category yeah. at this point. Airlines. That's really what it is. Domestic airlines, US, domestic U.S. airlines are, on the brand F up. Yeah, our our brand F up just in their totality of their existence. Yes, they're one huge operating industry F up. It was like they looked at a mediocre '90s comedy routine by like Seinfeld, and they were like, you know what? That should be our corporate mission statement. All right, now let's get to what's up. Now we want to get to what's up and what's up comes to us from, you know, our crew over at complex with their show everyday struggle, which is a new video show put out with co-host Joe button and DJ academics. And this was making a lot of, a lot of rounds last week, primarily because of the confrontation between Joe button, who is a newer old school rapper relative to the new generation of rappers and little Yachty, who, as he would consider himself a self-styled outcast yes. in the hip-hop game. And they basically had a, a fairly heated conversation about Little Yachty's place in the world of hip-hop, tr- primarily centering around how he is perceived, his work is perceived, and his assertion that he is always happy, which is which is really one of the more interesting parts of this conversation where little Yachty goes on to talk about why he is is so happy basically every day all the time and this kind of set off Joe Button in a fury of kind of pushing back against this idea that everybody Joe is happy. didn't seem that happy no Joe Button is definitely not happy right Everyone. tell me what the message is here the message is just to believe in yourself to, to love yourself basically it's just showing all signs of life, you know what I'm saying? She has vertigo. She's like a like an emotional girl, you know what I'm saying? We have obesity, oh, and then we no, have I, I, same sex love. You know what I'm saying. What about your music speaks to any of that? My music is basically to stay positive and just to love yourself. You know what I'm saying? I'm the outcast of the hip hop game. You know what I'm saying? These are all outcasts on this cover. And all I'm basically saying is you can be yourself and still be okay with that. Do you feel like an outcast in the whole yeah. genre? I feel like an outcast. You have a million questions. No, 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 That's exactly what I got from me. He is an outcast in hip hop. How is he an outcast? He's under in hip hop. You wouldn't say I'm an outcast. No. So when you say you're wait, trying, can we define outcast first? When I look I at outcast, I look at like someone who just sticks out, basically someone who it doesn't really fit into the pod, into the circle. That's and how you I, would say. That you are an outcast compared, compared to I feel like I'm an outcast compared to people like you or like you're you're, you're from your generation. Well, I'm an outcast. Old heads, man. No, you are okay. you are outcast. the same. You guys are the same, and I feel like the new generation is the outcast. But I feel like I'm the top outcast. Let me tell you something, right? Now that's interesting. That's bullshit. I mean, I think that. I guess what the reason we picked this and which is interesting is, you know, this is obviously very much of the pop culture moment. It is what's up. Uh, but there's an interesting question there. I mean, 
I'll just get the editorial out of the way, and Matt will come on in a bit, the super producer, to trash Lil Yachty a little bit as well because he saw him perform recently. I don't like Lil Yachty. I'm not really as as a performer. He actually, you know, he seems like a nice guy, but I'm not like I'm not super excited about his music. Joe Budden, I actually I agree with you, Phil. I mean, he's I would look. I would take Joe Budden over Lil Yachty on any situation. So I feel I think there's a deep conversation here and a superficial one. I think the superficial one is Joe Budden is kind of calling out Lil Yachty for. Yeah, I mean, basically being a little bit wafer thin in his public presentation, uh, which I think is fine. I think that's true. Uh, on the other hand, you know, there's a bigger conversation, obviously, about what is, you know, basically considered like acceptable male behavior in hip hop. And I think that, you know, on one hand, Joe, but thank you for the sound effect. Sorry. I think now it's all good. No, I just thought it meant that I made a good point. But I think that Joe Budden is is definitely like on the you know, he he's 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 enforcing that, you know, that hardness thing that, you know, people have been teasing, you know, making fun of rappers about since like the 80s and comedians have always made fun. And even, you know, self-aware rappers themselves, like when Biggie did the mad rapper sketch, he's mocking Tupac, but they're also mocking just generally like hardness and posturing in rap. On the other hand, so I think, you know, Button's enforcing that. On the other hand, I think he's right. Like nobody is happy all the time and you're you know, little Yachty's kind of public profiles wafer thin. So, you know, usually when we get into these conversations, it's, it can be a little bit more intellectual if you're saying like, okay, like Drake's, a, you know, a, a, a important rapper as much as I criticize him, but he's a guy who showed that you can, you know, be top of the charts and talk about your emotionalisms and your vulnerabilities. And obviously Kendrick brings the full spectrum of humanity to what he does. And great rappers always have, but it's become maybe more overt in the, in the recent discourse. So, you know, I'm a, I've am two minds because I think Joe Biden's kind of enforcing a limited discourse, but at the same time, I think his specific critique of Little Yachty sounds about right to me. Yeah, I I kind of fall in like I try to not look at this story from a perspective of artists that I like or don't like or what I feel about their music because music is one of those things that are somewhat subjective. I I think hip hop suffers from a lot of this idea of policing very narrowly what can and should be defined as hip-hop right and for for any culture i i believe that that is somewhat problematic because it limits the the scope of imagination right. and the scope of inclusion and who can be considered a, a part of what of what is going on and this is a conversation that's been that has raged in hip-hop for for years once there was enough formative years to have a history people have been debating and and critiquing what is authentically hip-hop versus what isn't so i think that's one piece of joe button's conversation regarding someone like little yachty there's always going to be a a newer artist a newer genre of artist with a different style and sensibility coming up that doesn't appeal to older artists and Joe Button at this point falls under that auspices of being a, a older a older artist. I think Ninth Wonder does a really good job of of 
talking about this as someone who's worked with a variety of artists to make these points that the people who regale and talk a lot about hip-hop history <clears throat> really don't even know that much hip-hop history like they'll yeah they'll talk right, about right, the right, sugar right. hill gang but they know rapper's delight like right. they don't know that much really about these artists but they they center themselves around one piece of the music or one particular song and then they think that that speaks for an entire <clears throat> genre or or moment in time when it really is a very small microcosm so that's the music critique moving on to more the central critique of joe button and his conversation about little yachty and his and his happiness that was slightly more problematic to me because i don't know if that is joe button's place or really if it's anyone's yeah. place to yeah tell someone with how they should perceive their moment in life like little yachty is however old he is 21 22 years old he's incredibly young he's gonna go through whatever he's gonna go through and he's gonna get there whenever he gets there right. like joe button is a is someone who's more seasoned he's gone through a ton of different things in the music industry and a lot of things on his in his personal life much to his own making um and and i think he's got to allow people to take their own journey and and not police that it's also a weird role that he just plays innate like i i think i agree with you that it's a bit of it's like innately obnoxious for anybody to make a comment like that but i think that if it was a comment by you know another artist to another artist that might come off differently like but I think that you know Joe Budden is kind of half. He's he's an artist, but now he has his TV show on Complex, so he's an interviewer and he's an entertainment pundit. So, you know, are you saying it as someone who's seen a little bit more, who's warning someone who's younger about you know the situation he's in and where it's going? That's one thing. Or are you just like a dude who's co-hosting the show and you're trying to create segments like this so that you know we'll be talking about it and it feeds the content chain? I think if it had come in the context of, I mean, you know, I'll I'll take it on the reverse end, and this is much more kind of high-minded and noble, but like, you know, the the story behind you know let Nas down and Jay Z and J Cole and you know or Nas and J Cole rather and that whole story that. You know, Nas was supposedly disappointed by J. Cole's album and, you know, that whole process and what it led to and their collaboration and that kind of conversation about pop appeal versus, you know, appealing to sort of hardcore fans and mentorship and all of that stuff, you know, but the, the point is, is that part of the reason that's able to happen is because that's artist to artist. You know, like if Nas was also hosting a TV show and was like, you know, J. Cole's new album just isn't living up to his potential as a pundit, that is just an innately different conversation. So it's kind of weird, I think, the positionality of it. But I, I think overall, setting aside little Yachty as, you know, the specific representation, I think that any type of effort to kind of police what is or isn't something in a genre, you know, it's just not the way of the future. It's not the way of the present. And, you know, whatever else you think about Lil Yachty, he's not going to come out and 
you know, he's not going to do bars about killing people or whatever. That's not his, no, that's not and, his and purpose. That's, and that's not and what that's, it should and be that's, about. And that's what, not what it should be about. And that's not why people are choosing to listen to him. And that's not, you know, and just as it might be deluded of him possibly to say, oh, I'm happy all the time, it would be, you know, also totally inauthentic for him to develop some type of angry hard persona because that's supposedly what you know Budden thinks is what a real rap persona yeah, and, is. And I wrote about this a, a while ago that like being happy or or being positive in and of itself has become an industry which one can critique from a clinical perspective. Um, but even from a, a cottage industry of people being coaches and kind of promoting like positive um positive ideologies like constantly all the time i don't my personal belief is that it's not pod is not possible for someone to be um positive all the time nor is it healthy i think one should own their moments of of going through difficult things but having said that i think the activity of of trying to put yourself in in your best frame given how difficult life is generally and particularly in moments like this socially and culturally is actually a lot of hard work like people who think that being happy is easy i think don't truly really understand what that means happiness is work it's work you know and it and it doesn't mean and it's critical work like happiness doesn't mean just smiling all the time or saying everything is good it's it's a function of you know self reflection um being compassionate and empathetic to other people lifting them up when they need it and being open to being lifted yourself it's it's a function of actually being i think very open and being very vulnerable things that sometimes hip hop is not comfortable with so yo you sound you know, like a straight bitch right now exactly like <laughs> damn fuck your vulnerabilities yeah, yeah. you know but damn, these are these so are very shit. real things you know and i think fight. um we to, we're gonna look soft in the <clears throat> podcast game but we can help you with that <laughs> you know but I, I think these are opportunities i think for us culturally to examine a lot more than how you feel about just these two artists oh yeah definitely no i agree uh real quick super producer matt Join Joe Budden, throw a little Yachty under the bus. Well, I uh, had the fortune, uh, I was fortunate enough to see Lil Yachty this weekend at Rolling Loud Festival in Miami. He uh, was the lead into the Lil Wayne show. Um, first exposure to him was on this show. I, I'm not terribly tuned into the mumble rap uh, scene, but uh, you know, comparing Joey Badass led into Kendrick Lamar on the Saturday night, uh, Yachty led into Lil Wayne on the Friday night. And comparing those two crowds, I think that uh the yachty crowd was kids generally yeah, right? right like it's kids right, and right, right. from my perspective like i think i would lo- i i don't mind that button is going at him like this because i think a lot of those kids could probably hear stuff like that like focus on what's important and and i i just think like comparing him to joy Battis, who's very conscious and and sort of um intentional about that sort of thing that's where I personally would rather subjectively be. I think it's a better show um, just on that uh, front. But I think, I don't know, I think the, the Little Yachty show, it kind of seemed to me a bit mindless. Um, uh, no. And yeah, like the, I, I don't know, it, it wasn't, and, and you know, he's a young guy comparing him to those like Kendrick 
a little Wayne well, and I those mean, people. Kendrick like, is, yeah, I mean, you can't. Um, that's, that's but yeah, I, I just thought, like, it, the whole vibe, it was a different, it was. It seemed like a different genre of music based on, the, and a, a different way of enjoying it, really. That's, we heard it here, that's what's up. That's the super producer with the final verdict on Lil Yachty. Uh, we gotta get to what's next. All right, so now we got to get to what's next. And we spoke about one of the initial shows we did. We talked about the future of film going and cinema. And we made the point that, you know, there's a lot of data behind our call for films to look more like America and for Hollywood and the film industry nationally and globally to follow the Two Dope Boys prime directive. And, you know, just really briefly, I'll get some stats that come from, uh, first of all, uh, I'm going to quote now from a piece in NPR from CinemaCon. John uh, Fithian, the president and CEO of the National Association of Movie, Grower, uh, Movie Owners, said, Diverse audiences around the globe are making their voices heard, while in the U.S. Hispanics have the highest rate of cinema visits. Uh, for the fifth year in a row, this was uh, back in 2015, uh, Latinos uh, were significantly oversampled in ticket sales relative to their shares of the population as reported by the theora- uh, the- theatrical market statistics, um, which was a report uh, released in 2015. This all leads up to the surprise for many massive box office open of the weekend of May 1st of Eugenio Derbez's box office hit, How to Be a Latin Lover. And I'm gonna quote now really briefly from uh, Forbes. The debut of How to Be a Latin Lover blew away analysts' expectations. Landing in is the second most popular movie in its opening weekend, grossing over 12 million and the driving horse behind the movie's success. Hispanic viewers. The movie, the romantic comedy starring producer and actor Eugenio uh, Derbez, attracted an 89% Latino audience. So there you have it. I mean, basically, finally the opportunity given and the results speaking for themselves in an incredible debut. And we look at that just at the same time. We've you know talked, obviously, about the brand F up of casting Scarlett Johansson and Ghost Protocol, the sort of ongoing failure of you know, the film industry to not just in some type of noble sense, but really in a smart, pragmatic, long-term business sense, start widening the net. They took a gamble on this and they've got a real success on their hands. Yeah. This Forbes article was interesting because I love how mainstream media will always this, whenever this happens in film, there's always the ex- like surprise, like analysts were surprised. Right. And I'm always thinking to myself, why do these people Not have these jobs? analysts right here. Yeah. Why do these people, these so-called analysts um, have jobs if these things are continue to be a surprise to them? <laughs> you know, like I, I think there's two critical things happening. One of them is obvious. The other one is slightly less obvious. The first part that's obvious is that if you make films or if you make content, because I think this has the potential or, or is a bigger conversation than just film. 
you know film is a, is a great way to set us up because we have um hollywood charts that come out telling us how much box office is done where they gross where they rank so it's a very quantifiable field but i would offer that there's an opportunity to look at all content and where you see content being inclusive meaning that is including people of color women i'm telling a variety of stories you find that that content is successful right. and this film speaks to that in 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 the most immediate example um one can go to a film like get out which is a huge hit we've talked about it on the show and again it's a it's a compelling story that uses one particular genre which is horror to tell a, a very socially relevant story that is inclusive tv has been doing this and i think has been a leader as compared to films we've talked about atlanta right. dear white people um came out the series came out on netflix about two weeks ago right. it's been tremendously successful you see the marvel adaptations that are on the small screen are far more diverse whether that's a jessica jones or a luke cage that's including more and more stories more and more people and those are being successful i think what you're seeing on the flip side and this is less apparent is a pushback against the really big tentpole movies that have been dominating over the past few years where i think the steam is is running out of that a little bit like they're always going to make huge box offices particularly in the first weekend gardens of the galaxy is an example of that but i think people are a little tired of those those kind of movies like there's only so many times you're going to see the world explode yeah you know and, and, and that was the sort of you know that was something that was kind of emerging though in in the kind of current iteration of hollywood that like there was going to be the massive expenditures to do massive blockbuster you know movies that are like going to war you know and you're going to pay you know some top shelf star a 40 million dollar check to, to to star in it and then you're going to spend you know untold you know tens hundreds of millions on special effects and location and everything else for a big return and then that was really squeezing out like the kind of you know the sort of for lack of a better term kind of like middle brow movies like things were kind of going like either like you know this is a movie that is going to have an incredibly small budget and limited release or this is going to be you know pirates of the caribbean part 13. And I think that, you know, th there is a possibility there with the success, like how to be a Latin lover. Th I agree with you that the other ancillary benefit of starting to tell a broader set of stories, because those are the true two ways to address it, right? Like, and we see the parallel in the brand world. The total market approach was not have different narratives, different stories. It's just have the right demographic breakdown in your commercial. So you have, you know, the woman represented, black people represented, and, you know, that's the kind of rainbow, whatever. Then the deeper conversation, and just the more relevant one in our world, is different stories being told that reflect the full range of every type of human experience and how it's reflected across all of these different mediums and platforms. So, you know, that was the kind of push was okay, and, and, and this is important, but it's like, all right, you're going to do Fast and Furious, 
Maybe you have a couple of black dudes. Maybe you have a Hispanic, per, you know, whatever, right? That's the kind of total market equivalent. The deeper one and what's reflected in this movie is just different stories being told. And obviously, you know, we've seen the kind of a master of none was another example of that on Netflix, kind of taking that gamble and doing that move. So it is possible that as these different narratives come to the fore and the appetite for them grows, it comes to the foreground and the appetite for them grows. Maybe, you know, that's the, 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 the broader implication could be like, maybe Hollywood could start investing, you know, across the board and also just like, you know, making movies again that aren't either, you know, totally starved for budget or massive warlike undertakings. And that would benefit, you know, every issue from diversity to, you know, supporting young filmmakers of all backgrounds and just getting better content out there across the board. And and <clears throat> despite the 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 ideology or the thought process that, you know, America will somehow be able to isolate itself from the rest of the world or its, or its citizens will become that way, that is is not the case. And there's another film that that's gotten less attention but has been actually very impactful and I'm I'm hoping that I'm I'm getting the name of this right. It's an Indian film and it's called Bahabali. And the original film, which came out in 2015, is one of the, the biggest movies in Indian history. The sequel came out um not too long ago, a few weeks ago. Um again, Bahubali to the conclusion. And the, the original film opened only in a few theaters and it grossed about $7 million, but it was in like 200 theaters. They they doubled that amount over its in, its entire run. It made $7 million. Um, the sequel came out and it opened in twice as many theaters and in one weekend made $10 million. So if you, if and it's, and it's a foreign language film. So if you expose, knowing that America is made up of all of these different types of communities, right? <clears throat> And you give them an opportunity to participate in the movie going experience beyond a big tentpole film, they will come out and support those films. Right. And I think that's an that's an incredible opportunity in the spaces of creating content and, and targeting these communities. Because if you're smart and you're culturally savvy, you can do so much more with so much less you don't you don't need to have commercials blasting telling me about wonder woman or gardens of the galaxy or pirates of the caribbean because you're instead micro targeting a very vibrant very active community whether that's the latin american community or the in or the south asian slash indian community but you can do so much more be so much and more impactful if you're like you mentioned doing the things we talk about in the cultural prime director if you're being culturally savvy those are really where you're going to find the opportunity so i think the the content creation is one piece of it but then having content marketing and outreach that authentically speaks to communities is is a huge opportunity that's not being done it's being done periodically but it's not being done with any 
um, standardized functionality. Yeah, that's exactly right. My only my only final thought on this too is, and, and this will be my crates pick, but I, I think of this Vigo Mortensen film that came out in 2016 called Captain Fantastic, which doesn't even, you know, he was able to get it through because he's a big star and it's a, you know, it's not a movie that reflects um, racial or gender diversity, but it's a movie that it, it does reflect a different narrative as well. And I just think that you know, everything you're saying is just, it's, it's indispensable across the board for just like the ability to understand what audiences are and what audiences are demanding. Because I think another thing that we kind of need to step out of, and that is again, cultural prime directive is also just the recognition that like, okay, so how to be a Latin lover was powered by, you know, let Hispanic audiences. But first of all, any, but you know, now it's like, anybody that's interested in a good movie and you know checking out something new is going to want to see it and also there's a broader audience i think for different types of just experiences generally versus that same narrative that's just kind of drawn again and again and again so you know the right thing and the mercenary thing overlap here uh and that's what's next we got to get to the crates Uh, now we got to get to the crates. These are our picks from culture. Make your life better, faster, more nimble. I'm thinking, I mentioned it in the last segment. It's a 2016 film called Captain Fantastic. Uh, it resonated with me, with my own unschooled, extreme counterculture background, although this film takes it to another level. Vito Morgensen is a kind of extreme bohemian father who's basically raising his kids off the grid deep in the woods in the middle of Oregon his wife dies he has to take her body her cremate her sort of cremated ashes across the country with his family it's a really funny really eccentric um and very human film so i just recommend captain fantastic and i'm i'm a big i'm a vigo fan so from from everything from this to his classic cameo back in the day in Carlito's way. Vigo, come all on, Carlito, come on, Carlito, I wasn't going to give them the tape. <laughs> he always <laughs> delivers. What do you got, brother? Um, I'm coming from the, the music world, a world I love to populate. And for those who don't know, I DJ. DJ under the name Nine is Water. And I kind of rediscovered um, this group um, called Kings of Tomorrow. Um, they've done a, a lot of different music, a lot of singles, a lot of EPs, but they're they're two like long form records. I think are just amazing. Um, the first one's called It's in the Lifestyle that was released in 2000. Then they followed that up with another LP called Trouble um, a few years after that, and it's just sort of you know house but in this like really kind of interesting downbeat way and i play a lot of their songs um during sets depending on the crowd and depending on the venue and i, I just think like i pull so many records from their discography that i could play and so i got a lot of respect for them and it's kings of tomorrow their two lps are it's in the lifestyle and then trouble though they have a lot of singles and a lot of eps a lot of remixes but those are two great places to start 
Perfect. want to thank everybody. Thank you, Super Producer Matt Leck. Thank you, Creative Director Shauna Wan. Write us a review on iTunes. We're getting up there. Got, getting more reviews coming in. We appreciate all of them. A lot of them are very kind. Follow us on social media. Check us out at the Sustainable Brands Conference. More for you Thursday on On Point.